Hello, this is Daniel Poppy, pastor at Emmaus Road Church in Fort Collins, Colorado. Thank you so much for listening to our podcast. We hope this message will help you grow in your walk with Christ. If you'd like to support this ministry, you can do so by visiting theroadfc.org and click on the giving link. Well, good morning. I hope these weeks of Advent and Advent focus of these themes of hope and peace and joy and love today have been meaningful you, meaningful for you. You know, the annual rhythm of stepping into Advent in very intentional and meaningful ways is so effective at shaping and encouraging contentment in us, in our hearts. Especially during a season that's generally more about the hustle and the bustle and perhaps frustration that we may feel. What practices or activities or moments are you engaging in this year that's maybe new for you or maybe sacred rhythms that you do each year? Are you thinking of something that you've done this last few weeks? You've been doing these last few weeks, things that are providing shape and contentment to your heart as you look forward to Christmas. I hope these moments that we share together here on Sundays is one of those things. And I hope that kind of what we do in this space isn't something that just ends here, but goes with you. Goes with you as the Holy Spirit kind of shapes things, ideas that are bubbling to the surface. Maybe new ideas, maybe ideas you've remembered, but you've pushed to the side. And that then that work, the, the spirit, your ideas, your thoughts translates into something. It translates into action in some way. Perhaps into a new practice. Perhaps into some a new meaningful moment that you just take. Even if... It's something you just try once or twice and you decide, you know, maybe that's not for me. That's okay. Because that's how our faith develops and stretches and grows. We just try things. The Holy Spirit is a good guide, a good leader for us. Shaping us into people who are sinking with intentionality how to live and breathe and be a part of our culture in a meaningful way. You know, of course, here in this final week of Advent, as Christmas Eve is coming this Saturday, can you believe it's already here? Christmas on Sunday, I encourage you to find moments like this, this week. Even if it's just 15 minutes. To do something differently. As a matter of fact, I'll give you an example right now. A great place to start. Light a candle or light the fire. Turn off the lights. Turn off the TV, turn off the music. Find a comfortable chair. Put a blanket across your lap and just sit in quiet. Even just 15 minutes of silence is countercultural these days for most of us. Can you imagine that scene? Maybe the chair that you would be in, what your room might look like with the lights off. Imagine what it would be like sitting there right now. Now, just like in this moment, in the coming days for you, lots of things will be popping into your head. Lots of ideas, lots of thoughts. 
let the to-do list items, the things that you need to get taken care of, let those kind of go for a moment. There's going to be plenty of time for that later. But in this 15 minutes, look for that thing that pops into your mind that's really special, really meaningful. Maybe it's someone you're thankful for. Maybe it's a fond memory that you cherish. Maybe it's something that you want to let go of or an action, an encounter that you wished had gone differently. As that one thought begins to linger, you can begin to turn that thought into a prayer. Perhaps a prayer of thanksgiving, gratitude. Perhaps a cry of help. Either way, the Spirit is faithful to meet you in that moment, to guide you. I can tell you, you'll be surprised at what happens when you just give 15 minutes to the Lord with intention. You might add moments like these to your favorite Advent activities, like reading Advent reflections from one of the hundreds of great Advent devotionals out there, or just reading your favorite passages of scripture, listening to podcasts on Advent or reflections or listening to your favorite songs. You might even go back and listen to the Emmaus Road Advent Reflections podcast series we did last year, two years ago, actually. I was just looking back at those. They're so good. Scott, I was listening to yours yesterday, the one that Scott shared, and then we sang one of the songs that we sang this morning. Look those up on our website or on YouTube. You'll find it. But they're really great. Spend time with these things. Find moments in which you just take 15 or 30 minutes before or after dinner, just whatever time is convenient for you. You can do it alone. You can do it with your family, with your friends, with your kids. That's great. Well, as we continue embracing Advent this year, we continue with the themes of hope, peace, joy, and love. And today, love will be the theme. The Advent themes of hope, peace, joy, and love have not become the foundation, the cornerstone of the church's celebration during the season by accident. It's because these themes, if you really take it down to their simple core, these themes encompass everything we know of Jesus, God, and the kingdom. These themes cover it all. You don't have to go too far out of the way to think something else up. This covers it. Hope encourages us to hold our aspirations and desires before the Lord in order that we may be molded into heavenly priorities, that those hopes and, or hopes and desires may be molded into heavenly priorities. And these priorities then usher in the kingdom, into our lives, into our relationships, into our communities. And of course, when we studied peace, we were reminded that the peace that comes from the Lord, 
works countercultural to the peace that the world provides. In other words, the, the contrast between peace that happens to us is recognizing that peace comes to us oftentimes when we're in very non-peaceful situations. The peace that God provides to us is there for us no matter what the situation is, is doing. And that peace in our heart, it's a gift and it bolsters our faith. It gives us courage to faithfully live the way Jesus demonstrated for us, even in the tension, even in the non-peaceful moments. And then last week, as we talked about joy, joy that sustains and drives us, remember the promise of rescue and help that is to come. And this is fulfilled in Jesus' birth, his coming. It's demonstrated in the new kingdom and the life that Jesus demonstrated to us, restoring us. It comes to us in the salvation from the power of sin and death through God's victory over the cross and his resurrection. And in the power to live as Christ did with the Holy Spirit. So in other words, joy is a frame of mind, a frame of heart. Happiness is a result of joy. It's not always there. But joy is a frame of heart. And finally this week, love. Love becomes the culminating element as Jesus, God with us, encountered, enacted that power of love to bring freedom, restoration, and healing to all who would receive it. And these are not just concepts that remain abstract in our minds because we're living in between. The first advent did come, happen. Christ did come. Christ did demonstrate all of these things for us. And so, they're not as abstract as we may think because we have examples of these four elements living in Christ, but now living in us as the Holy Spirit has come. Heaven came down and dwelt among us. And through the Holy Spirit, heaven is still here dwelling among us. It changes and shapes everything. Today, love becomes the motivating active force of heaven as we see Jesus taking the mantle of love upon himself in a very specific way. This is one of my favorite passages of scripture that we'll be looking at. Because we'll see, once again, that Jesus is fulfilling prophecy, specifically the prophecy spoken in Isaiah 61, revealing what the power of love unleashed upon the world will do. The mantle of love that Jesus is taking upon himself becomes his manifesto for ministry. I've been looking forward to saying that word. It's the manifesto that Jesus took upon himself. He said, this is what my ministry is going to look like. And it gives us exactly what we need to know in order to live the way Jesus did. Are you excited? What could it be? This is the way Jay says. We're about to hear the one core value that Jesus said. This is it. This is all it takes. The one core value that Jesus claimed upon himself, his central focus of his ministry, becomes the central pillar for us in our lives of faith. 
if I put you to sleep earlier during kind of that little reflection thing, time to wake up. Here we go. We're going to dive right in. Before we do, we're going to pray as we jump into our scripture. Let's pray. Almighty one who scatters the proud and fills the hungry by your Holy Spirit, let your word leap in us and bring to our yearning the joy that comes with new beginnings and renewed lives. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. We're going to start in Luke chapter 4. We're going to read a few sections of scripture. And in this section, Jesus is going to refer to Luke's or Isaiah 61. So then after we read our portion of Luke 4, we're going to jump back and read the expanded version of what Jesus was saying. Luke chapter 4. Then Jesus returned to Galilee filled with the Holy Spirit's power and reports about him spread quickly through the whole region. He taught regularly in their synagogues and was praised by everyone. When he came to the village of Nazareth, his his boyhood home, he went, as usual, to the synagogue on the Sabbath and he stood up to read the scriptures. The scroll of Isaiah the prophet was handed to him. He unrolled the scroll, and he found the place where it was written, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me. He has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim that captives will be released, that the blind will see, that the oppressed will be set free. And at that time, and that the time of the Lord's favor has come, He rolled up the scroll, handed it back to the attendant, and he sat down. All eyes in the synagogue looked at him intently. Then he began to speak to them. The scriptures that you have just heard have been fulfilled this very day. And of course, the scroll that Jesus was reading from, the passage that he was reading from, is found in our modern Bible in Isaiah 61. So let's look at that passage. Isaiah 61, verses 1 through 4. The Spirit of the Sovereign Lord is upon me, for the Lord has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He has sent me to comfort the brokenhearted and to proclaim that the captives will be released and the prisoners will be freed. He has sent me to tell those who mourn that the time of the Lord's favor has come, and with it the day of God's anger against their enemies. To all who mourn in Israel, he will give a crown of beauty for ashes." A joyous blessing instead of mourning, festive praise instead of despair. In their righteousness, they will look like great oaks that the Lord has planted for his own glory. They will rebuild the ancient ruins, repairing cities destroyed long ago. They will receive them, though they have been, though they have been deserted for many generations. I'm sorry, they will revive them, though they have been deserted for many generations. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. So this is the mantle that Jesus took upon himself, which defines his ministry. But more importantly, it defines the nature of the kingdom of God. In this passage, in Jesus' coming and enacting the kingdom, we see three things happening. Three things that we just read in 61. When love comes down, 
when love comes into our world through Jesus, first, debts are forgiven, restoration takes place, and rejoicing breaks out. When love comes down, when love comes into our world through Jesus, debts are forgiven, restoration takes place, and rejoicing breaks out. First, debts are forgiven. In ancient Israel, God set up this really cool thing called the year of Jubilee. It's another fun word to say. The year of Jubilee. Jubilee is, it was this economy that God set up so that there would never be systematic poverty in his nation of Israel, in his children. It was a way to protect the most vulnerable in society by ensuring that downward spirals of need and toil had an end. But it was also a way to protect the rich by ensuring that unsustainable prosperity and wealth would likewise not become a stone about the neck of his people. Here's how it worked. Every 50 years or so, there would be a decree that went out and every debt, every slave, every burden, all of it would be forgiven. No matter how bleak or impossible the situation, Essentially, once in every person's lifetime, God had a giant reset switch, and it would change everything. It was life-changing. It was life-saving. It was a promise to give hope and a promise to give life. Just as, in God, as God instilled into the nation of Israel through the year of Jubilee, love now provides this reset, this Reboot this start over for our hearts. For humanity today, the love of Jesus is Jubilee. It does the exact same thing for our hearts, what the year of Jubilee did for the prosperity and the finances of the children of Israel. It gives a reset switch, a do over button for the conditions that may otherwise be leading us in a downward spiral towards destruction. And the beauty of Jesus' Jubilee is that it's constant. Unlike the year of Jubilee, Jesus' love is not on a 50-year cycle where if you miss it, you miss it. It's constant, moment by moment. It almost sounds too good to be true, but it is true. The first thing that Jesus says of himself and his ministry is, I am Jubilee. Some have said that Christianity or the work of the church is more about behavioral control, perhaps reining people in, changing their habits, changing their lifestyles, maybe even oppressing or holding people down with rules and unreal expectations. But Jesus says the very opposite. He came to lift up the brokenhearted, to bring freedom to the captives, to release from the darkness all those who are enslaved. What promises of Jubilee do you need in your life this morning? 
Who has at least one little thing in their lives that they could use a reset switch for? Things that just don't seem to be working. Things that we'd love to have a do-over on. Well, this morning as we're kind of going through these three themes of love, I want you to kind of picture yourself walking through Trader Joe's or something with a, one of those little baskets. And you keep finding just yummy little things and you're adding it to the basket. These things, these promises that we're talking about, we're just gonna be adding our hopes into this basket. And then as we gather around the Lord's table this morning and receive the cup and the bread, the Lord's gonna hear these prayers. He's gonna take these things from our basket. We're gonna to get to check out for free. So this morning, as you think, what needs resetting in my life? What area of my life do I need Jubilee? Just toss it in the basket. Take notes on your paper, jot them down. Second, Advent love is restoration. It's, it's restorative. The next thing that we see in the passage, the next characteristic of Jesus is that love come to earth restores us. Jubilee cancels debt. Jubilee kind of gets us, you know, back to zero. But restorative love begins to repair and to fill the cracks. Begins to cancel out the void. Advent love brings back, it rebuilds all that was lost and broken. Verse 4 that Jesus quoted says, They will rebuild the ancient ruins, repairing cities destroyed long ago. They will revive them, though they have been deserted, deserted for many generations. Think of the damage that we've encountered in our lives, in our hearts. But also the damage that we encounter in society, in our communities, in our culture. Advent love is able to rebuild and renew all that was lost and broken. We saw this last week in our passages of scripture from Isaiah where it was describing the wastelands being turned into gardens. That's one method of restoration. Today, Isaiah's moved on from the wilderness and now he's in the cities. He's talking about our, the places where we dwell, the ruined buildings, the ruined streets being brought back to life. That the places in which we live and we do life and we do commerce, that these become sanctuaries of life and wholeness. You know, our tendency is to assume that there's certain damage, there's certain types of things that are just too much. Our consumeristic throwaway culture actually builds this into the things that we interact with in our lives. Like, it's almost impossible to repair a modern vacuum these days. You gotta throw it away and start over. We assume that there's certain damage that is just not worth fixing. We assume that even for God, there's a point in our lives beyond his ability to restore. But Jesus showed us time and time again that there's nothing too great for God. There's no discord 
too great that God can't pull it back in to a beautiful melody. I heard a story of a jazz musician who was playing a concert, um, beautiful, playing piano, and of course, right in the middle of the concert, someone's cell phone goes off really loudly. And it breaks the room. It breaks, it breaks the magic. He even kind of stopped his playing because it was so disruptive. And the person kind of bustled out and took the call, and there he was. Now, the, this musician in the room with all these people and what to do. Of course, he was a trained musician, so he took the melody that was in the ringtone and he played it. And then he added to that a harmony. And he began turning that discord into a beautiful new melody that everyone there in the room was just in awe. You know, the magic that was broken was brought back in an even more powerful way. There's no discord in our lives too great for God to weave back into a beautiful melody. There's no relationship too damaged that God can't refresh it by restoring the hearts of all those involved. There's no addiction too strong that God can't bring you back from a place you never wanted to be in the first place. Not making it as if it never happened, but better because it happened. Like we're better, we're stronger, we're fuller, we're more whole more complete because of the brokenness that has been in our lives that God has healed. Jesus mends us and makes us better, more beautiful. There's a Japanese focus in art called Kintsuki. In this Japanese art, it's about repairing broken pottery by mending areas of breakage with lacquer, dusted oftentimes with powdered gold or powdered silver or platinum. As a philosophy, it treats the breakage and repair as part of the history of the object rather than something to disguise or to try to hide. It treats the mending as something which makes the object more beautiful because of the accented scars. Look at this slide here. Um, my wife, Melissa, painted this. It's called Beautifully Broken. It's big, it's 30 by 48 inches, it's a big painting. And those gold sections, that's gold leaf that's been applied onto the, the cracks, the broken places on the heart. Here's the story that she says about this painting. Before mending begins, the Japanese art of Kintsuki invites you to behold the brokenness. It 
It encourages you to learn from the broken fragments, to let them show you what happened in the past, to let them teach you what it means to be alive, to let them speak into how you can live renewed today. Today, you have the opportunity to slow down and behold the brokenness, to take time to consider how we've ordered our lives and what our place in mending this brokenness, personal but to our world, is. Even as the evidence of the fractures remain, perhaps we can make something beautiful out of the brokenness. Jesus' love frees us, frees us from very real enemies and very real brokenness. Like the numerous conditions that we may hold closeted in our hearts that sometimes is made more acute because of the just general atmosphere of celebration that we experience at Christmas. Sometimes we try to hide it, you know, but you may be carrying a severed relationship that's just hurting your heart. Addictions that are hidden, violence that's barely domesticated, depression that's being denied, a raging affair, self-loathing, greed, hatred, fear, whatever it is. There's no brokenness, no discord or hurt that's beyond God's ability to repair. And when God restores what is broken, he turns our shame and our scars into beautiful testimonies of his power and love. He gives beauty for ashes, joy for mourning, promises of hope in the midst of despair. What hurt or discord do you need Jesus to restore in your life today? What would you like to add to your basket this morning as we gather around the table in a few moments? Maybe you're reflecting on a beautiful scar that God's already mended in your life. And once again, you're just in awe of his mercy and grace. But maybe you have a hurt that's fresh, raw, and it needs mending. What would you ask of the God whose love restores and repairs all that's broken? Finally, just when poverty and brokenness of sorrow have us dressed in maybe mourning garments, Jesus invites us to go change clothes and to come back and join this celebration that results from jubilee and restoration. To all who mourn in Israel, he will give a crown of beauty for ashes, a joyous blessing instead of mourning, festive praise instead of despair. This is an intentional invitation, a conscious change of heart or season in our lives 
a conscious change from one agenda to something completely different. An invitation into a new way of dress, a new way of thinking, a new experience, a new reality. This is what Jesus does. He invites us into a place of extravagant celebration because of the forgiveness of debt and the restoration of brokenness. This is what is so remarkable about the person of Jesus. This is what makes him different than anything or anyone else. He's not a philosophy. He's not an ideology. He's not a religion that says, earn your way back to me. He's not a hype man telling you how good you could be if only you tried a little bit harder. He's the one dispensing food and drink and life and healing for free. He gives you a new future, a new identity, a new hope, a new start. He washes the guilt away. He washes the shame away. He makes you brand new, scars and all. There's a kind of a modern, beautiful story that demonstrates this well, demonstrates the, the power of Jesus' salvation. It goes like this. There's a girl who grew up in a cherry orchard just outside of Detroit, Michigan. And her parents, a bit old-fashioned, tend to overreact. First, when she gets a nose ring. Next, when she starts to listen to kind of weird music. Next, when she begins to dress differently, bringing different people around that her parents aren't quite comfortable with. Of course, there's tension, there's shouting at times. She's grounded here and there and she begins to seethe. She screams at her father when he knocks on the door of her room after an argument, just saying, I hate you. And then that night, she acts on a plan that she's been toying with for years now. She runs away. She's visited Detroit before on a bus trip with her youth group to watch the Tigers play. But because newspapers report in her small hometown of the lurid details of the gangs and the drugs and the violence in downtown Detroit, she concludes that this is the last place on earth her parents would look for her. You know, on her second day in the city, she's feeling excited and she met, meets a man who drives the fanciest car she's ever seen. He offers her a ride, buys her lunch, arranges a place for her to stay, gives her some pills that make her feel like she's never felt before. She was right all along. Her parents have been hiding real life from her this whole time. The good life continues for a month or two. But you can imagine where the story leads. Now addicted to heroin, she has no choice but to sell herself to make her next fix, but also to keep the man with the fancy car happy so that she can have a place to stay, food to eat. After a year or so, the illness begins to kick in because of her, her addiction. And it amazes her how fast that man turns on her. Before she knows it, she's out on the street, penniless. When winter blows in, she finds herself sleeping on the metal grates outside of department stores. Sleeping's maybe the wrong word because a teenager, a, a girl in Detroit can never relax. Dark bands begin to circle her eyes. Her cough 
worsens. One night as she's lying asleep, listening to the footsteps passing by, all of a sudden, everything around her looks different. She no longer feels like this wise woman of the world. She feels like a girl. Lost and far from home and frightened. She begins to cry. Her pockets are empty and she's hungry. She needs a fix. She pulls her knees closer around her and shivers under the coat and the newspapers and things she has for a bed. Something jolts a synapse of memory in her mind in that moment and a single image fills her head. A spring day back home, the trees in blossom. It's so beautiful. God, why did I leave? She says to herself. His pain stabs her heart. She's sobbing. She knows in a flash that more than anything else, she just wants to go home. The next day, she finds somebody she can borrow a phone from. She makes a few phone calls, and they go straight to voicemail. But on the third call, she decides to leave a message, and she says, Dad, Mom, it's me. I was wondering if I could come home. I'll be on the next bus. I'll stop through home about midnight tomorrow. And if you're not there, I guess I'll just stay on the bus, and I'll continue on. The next day on the bus ride, she finally has time to panic over all the flaws in her plan. <laughs> you know, what if her parents are out of town or missed the message? Shouldn't she have waited perhaps a day or two to talk to them? But she was compelled to come, to run home. And even if they are home, maybe they have wrote, written her off years ago weeks ago, months ago. Her thoughts bounce back and forth between these worries and the speech that she's beginning to write in her head of what she'll tell her dad. Dad, I'm sorry, I know it was wrong. It's not your fault, it was all me. Can you forgive me? Something like that. She says the words over and over in her throat and it tightens and releases as she the anxiety of this moment is building. She hasn't had to apologize to anybody in a long time. But of course, when the bus finally rolls into the station, the air brakes hiss in protest of the cold and the driver announces in a crackly voice over the microphone, 15 minutes. The bus will be there for 15 minutes. So she has 15 minutes. She looks out, she doesn't see anyone. She makes a quick walk up and down, doesn't see anyone. She checks herself in the compact mirror, smooths her hair as best she can. She notices the tobacco stains on her fingers and wonders if mom and dad will notice. If they're here at all, I mean, who knows? But she walks up and down, no one's there. But then she decides to go inside the terminal and, you know, the thousands of things that she had anticipated could have not prepared her for the scene that she sees. There, among the 
concrete walls and the plastic chairs of the terminal stands a group of 40 or 50 people, friends, family, brothers, sisters, aunts, uncles, cousins, grandmas even there, taped across the walls a giant sign that says, welcome home. They've got balloons and poster boards and kazoos, the whole thing. Out of the crowd steps dad as she runs to him. And through her tears and the quiveringness in her voice, feels like hot mercury. She starts her speech saying, Dad, I'm sorry. And he interrupts her and he just says, hush child, I know. I forgive you no matter what. You're here now and there's a party to get to. This is what Advent love can do in our hearts. It forgives the debt, it restores the brokenness, and it invites you to celebration. I really do rehearse these things so I'm not so like a blubbery mess up here. <laughs> I'm sorry. I know it's probably hard to watch, but I'm okay if you're okay. Are we okay? When love comes down, when love comes down, when love comes into our world and Jesus, debts are forgiven, restoration takes place and rejoicing breaks out. Our world has trained us to look for a catch in every good thing. But the love of Jesus, the redemption of his kingdom, the jubilee that he brings us in his coming, in his promised second coming, it has no catch. There's no secret. There's no loophole. We just need to come home. Amen. To rest, to heal, to be made new. When you feel discouraged or you wonder how you can ever hold on, when you get one more piece of bad news, when there's one more mass shooting in the world or a natural disaster or in this tortured earth, remember that Christ has come and Christ will come again and that changes everything. Advent is a time of waiting and preparation for God to transform the world through Jesus and to renew our hearts. Jesus came, but he will come again. Isaiah's prophecy tells us that transformation is not an empty promise, but it's a sure, hopeful promise. And we must actively chase after it. And as we do so, those gaps, again, the gaps in the first and second advent, those gaps will begin to come together. In Advent this year, may we be people of love, refreshed, restored, and celebrating the life that God has given us. Amen. On the back of your notes, we're going to continue with our theme of Advent poetry that serves as our prayer for this morning.